stretch of our breaking free capital campaign. Um, we began back in January putting uh, teams together to work in different areas of the campaign. Uh, for the last few weeks we've been in the what we call the information 
stage trying to get the word out, what, what we're doing, why we're doing it. And it's vitally important that everybody have one of the information packets that we have been distributing. And if for some reason you still do not have one, please stop by the, the wood stand in the foyer and get one. If you're on the church mailing list, there'll be one specifically labeled for you in their alphabetical order. And um, if, if not, if there's not one labeled for you, we have some that are just blank in the back. And every family needs one of those because it, it explains fully what we're doing, why we're doing it, what the needs are, and how we can come together to meet these needs to accomplish our goal. So make sure you get that. As, as we prepared to do this campaign, you know, we tend to think of things like capital campaigns as new. This is something that the modern church does to help meet their needs. But I found out it's actually not new. That the first capital campaign was actually conducted in ancient Israel by King David. It goes all the way back in the scripture to First Chronicles. That's not a book I've been in recently, so I enjoyed the opportunity to get back into First Chronicles. If you want to turn there, First Chronicles 29, we're going to discover that David initiated the first capital campaign in order to build the temple. For years, the people of Israel, ever since they came out of Egypt, they had this traveling church. It was called a tabernacle. It was a big tent. And wherever they would stop, they would put this big tent up, and that tabernacle would be the focus of their worship. But once they entered the Promised Land, and once the capital of Israel was established in Jerusalem, David had a desire to build a temple for the Lord. Now, he was not actually going to be able to do it, but his son Solomon would. But David took it upon himself to get the resources together to make it happen. <laughs> Excuse me. Let's start verse 1. Then King David said to the whole assembly, My son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. The task is great because this palatial structure is not for man, but for the Lord God. He understood that what they were endeavoring to do was not for the glory of Israel. It was not for the glory of King David. It was entirely for the glory of God. And I hope that is our understanding of our existence as a church. This church was not built here to glorify the people who built it. This church was not built here to call attention to the congregation. This church was built so that when people see it, when they come here to worship, when they come here to experience the various ministries we do, that they always point people back to God. Now the first thing David 
decided to do to raise the funds to build the temple was to make it personal. I'm in verse 3 now. Besides, in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God, over and above everything I have provided for this holy temple. So the first thing David did was say, look, I'm going to ask you to do something extraordinary. And the place to start is with me. Did you notice how many times the word my appeared? I think it was four times in that verse. I'm going to devote my treasure to my God out of my devotion to my God. See, David saw this prayer. This wasn't just the people of Israel building a temple to God. David said, this is me. I take this personally. I take ownership of this endeavor. Because the Lord God is my God. And I want my God to have a place of worship. And we need to do that too. The only way this works is if we each take it personally. If we understand that this, this is not just a church. This is my church. And what happens here affects me on a personal level. And David understood that. And he said, so the first thing I'm going to do is make it personal. And I'm going to stand here in front of my people. And I am going to commit my resources so there can be a temple for my God. And we're going to follow the same pattern that David did. Now, I'm not about to equate myself as your pastor to King David. Please don't walk out of here and start calling me King Roger or, or Sire. You know, please don't do that. that would, that'll embarrass me. Okay, you can do it once. One time, you can, you know, you can do that. But, but I guess when you take the situations and try to translate them, David was the leader of Israel. I'm considered the leader of this church. So I want to do what David did. I want to take it personal. And I want you to know that Sue and I are committed to this church. This is not just the place where we go to church. This is not just the place where I work. This is my church devoted to the worship of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we take it very personally, what's happening here. And we are taking the lead on this capital campaign. We've been here for 25 years. And over the past 25 years, through our regular giving and through the other two capital campaigns, we have invested about $175,000 in the life of this church. And the only regret we have about that is that it wasn't more. And I don't tell you that. Please don't misunderstand. I'm not telling you that because I want you to go, ooh, wow, that's, that's good. I'm telling you that because you need to know that we believe in what we're doing here. And we have invested ourselves 
in what we're doing here. I don't just get up here on Sunday and tell you what you should do. I need to get up here and say, this is what we believe. This is what we do. And then ask you to follow, because that's what David did. And so to that end, Sue and I have filled out our commitment card and, uh, that is in the information packets. And Gabe, would you come and get this and put it in the offering plate for me? We want to turn in our commitment <laughs> and lose my grandson in the process. Because I, I firmly believe that what David did is the way it should be done. Leadership is done by example. Now, what happened next? In verse 5, after David talked about the personal resources, he was willing to mit, commit to his God. He then looked at the leadership of the people. And he said, now who is willing to consecrate himself to the Lord today? And he made that challenge directly to the leaders of the people. Verse 6, Then the leaders of families, the officers of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of the king's work gave willingly. So the first step was for King David to say, look, this is personal. I'm going to commit my resources. That's what we've done. The next step is to call upon the leaders to do the same. And that's what we are doing. On Tuesday evening at 7 o'clock, we are calling together the leadership of the church. The elders, the deacons, the trustees, the board members, the ministry team leaders, the staff, we're all coming together, and we are going to receive the same challenge that the people of Israel, their leaders, did. And that's to consecrate ourselves to this work first. So we are going to ask them to make their commitments in advance. So that by the time we get to May 20th, and we're asking you to make yours, you will know that your pastor's and your church leaders have stepped up before you. And we're only asking you to do what we have already done. In verse 9, it tells us the response to that. It said, The people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. Three things to notice there. First of all, how did they give? Grudgingly and hesitatingly. <laughs> they gave freely and they gave willing. When they witnessed what David was willing to do, they stepped up and said, you know what? You're right. We can do that too. We want to do that too because he's also our God. And this is our temple. And we want our lives invested in it. So they gave freely and wholeheartedly. And there was rejoicing 
because of their giving. Do you rejoice when there are opportunities to give? You know, there are two ways to look at this capital campaign. You can think of it as a burden to be born. <laughs> you know, we got to do that. I understand we got to do this. We need to do this. Don't want to do this, but I'm going to do this. Or we can look at it as an opportunity to glorify God with what we have. Jesus taught the people that you can't serve both God and stuff. Technically, the, the word for stuff is mammon. You know, you can't serve both God and mammon. But if you go around today and ask people what's their attitude about their mammon, you're going to get a lot of weird looks. So really what that word means is stuff. It's your money. It's your possessions. Jesus said you can't serve both. You can't make a master out of the things you have in this world and a master out of your Lord. You've got to choose which one is going to lead your life. But here's the thing. Even though you can't serve both God and mammon, you can glorify God with your mammon, with your money, and with your stuff. If we had time to read on in the First Chronicles 29, we would discover this. David says, Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. But who am I? And who are my people? That we should be able to give as generously as this. Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. It comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. Did you catch how David understood the things that he had, his wealth? He said it all belongs to God. I only have it because God enabled me to get it. And I can only use it because God enables me to use it. So when I am given the opportunity to give some of it back to God, I'm only giving him back what's his. Maybe you've had this situation where you have a neighbor or a friend or a family member that comes over and they want to borrow something. Only needed a few days, and I'll get it right back. Okay. They borrow it, they take it, they use it, they keep it, and they keep it, and they keep it. Days, weeks, months go by. You don't have whatever it was. And then the time comes, you need it. And you remember that this person borrowed it, and you go to their house and say, you know, you, you borrowed this from me like eight months ago, and I really need it. So I came to get it. 
and your neighbor says, well, you know, that's going to be a problem because I thought I might use it this weekend. So um, why don't you come back in a few weeks and I'll think about letting you have it for a while. <laughs> and how would you feel about that? It's yours. You loaned it to them, but somewhere along the line, they got the idea, oh, this is mine now. <laughs> I want to just keep this. I don't want to give it back. You probably would not feel very good about that. But that's exactly what we do to the Lord all the time. He gives us the ability to get what we have. Our mammon. And then when he asks us to return some of it, we go, I don't know. I kind of want to hold on to it. I kind of like having it right here at my disposal. I don't really want to give it back to you. Or let's say you, you have a friend that invites you out to dinner. Nice dinner. Fancy restaurant. And they say, get anything you want. It's on me. You know what my first thought is? Steak and lobster. You know, I'm looking at that menu going, what is it that I never get because I can't afford to buy it? Well, let's see. Ooh, look at that one. Steak and lobster and all the fixings. Right there. But then that little voice <laughs> in my head starts to talk and says, you know, just because they said you can get anything you want doesn't mean you should get the most expensive thing on the menu. Maybe you should be a little more reasonable. I don't like that voice. But it's there. And I say, okay. Just the steak. Oh, well, we're getting the cake. There's just no question about the cake. But, okay, I'll let the lobster go. Just get the steak. There again, put that, translate that into our relationship with God. God is like the person that, that generously gives and says, look, this is on me. And we have the choice of taking whatever we can get from God for ourselves, or we have the opportunity to say, no, I believe that some of this could best be left in your hands. On May 20th, we're going to come together in one single worship service at 10.30 in the morning. And we're going to celebrate the church and what God has done, is doing, and will do through this church. And we're going to take all these cards. We're asking you to take your card, carefully and prayerfully consider what you will do to fill out that card and to bring it with you on May 20th so that we can put them all in a pile and we can dedicate them to the Lord, just like David did all the gold and the silver and the resources that the people brought. Now let me say one thing. If you read on in Chronicles, it said they brought the gold, the silver, the bronze, 
and the iron. Do me a favor. Don't bring us your iron. Okay? We really have little use for iron. Your gold, your silver, your bronze, we're good. <laughs> Not so much the iron. We'll, we'll, we'll pass on that one this time. And then we're going to have a celebration dinner after the service. Now the question could be, how do I know we're going to have anything to celebrate? I don't. But I believe we will. And isn't that the essence of faith? The conviction of things hoped for? The assurance of things not seen. I have faith in God that he's going to lead us. I have faith in the leaders of our church that they are going to respond as the leaders of Israel did. And I have faith in you. I have faith in this church family that at the end of the day we will do what God calls us to do. Oh,